Father, as we open the word of life, we pray that you who are the author and you who are the finisher of our faith, you are the perfecter of all that we are. We ask you today to be our teacher. As we walk across the pages of scripture, may we walk in paths of righteousness where you would direct us, not in human opinion, not in supposition, but rather in divine revelation. Grant to us wisdom that comes only from God, not the wisdom of the world, but rather the wisdom of God. And I pray that when we leave this place, we'll say truly, indeed, it was good to have been in the house of the Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. I hope you have your Bibles. If not, I hope you'll make friends with somebody next to you that does. Today, I deliberately did not ask Kelly to put this text on the, on the screen, not because I know you can't see it, but I want you to have this in your Bible with your finger on your Bible. If you want to mark something, it's in your Bible, and you can find it later. So often when it's on the screen, you say, well, I failed to write that down, or I didn't have my Bible open. Please today open your Bible to Psalm 55. If you have a friend, uh, if you didn't bring a Bible, make a friend next to you and say, may I look on with you. There's something about the fellowship of sharing the scripture with a brother or sister in Christ that builds your own faith. And I would encourage you to do that today. The message today is on the theme of comfort, but it's on a very troublesome text or topic. And that is, we're going to talk about today, comfort when I've been betrayed if you've lived long enough, you've been on both sides. You have betrayed a friend, sometimes not intentionally and didn't realize the harm you would cause. Sometimes you've been on the end of being betrayed. It's not fun on either side. If you were the betrayer and it was accidental or truly not malicious, let me say it that way. You shared something in retrospect you wish you hadn't shared. It created great harm. You've beaten yourself up many a time to say, boy, I wish I hadn't done that. If you've been on the receiving end, likely you may still be limping, depending on how close the person was that did it and how deep was the cut that was made. It has been said, someone said, betrayal never comes from your enemies. It always comes from someone that you trust the most. Betrayal's not new. It's been around since the beginning of time. In fact, we know that Jacob not only betrayed his brother Esau, he betrayed his daddy when he put that hairy wool on hairy uh, animal skin on his arms and told his father it's me whose father couldn't see Isaac was up in years and couldn't see he said touch my arm dad I've, I'm hairy I'm not smooth skin like Jacob it's me Esau he not only betrayed his brother he deceived his father the prodigal son deceived his father now you got to be low and some of you I hope are not in that crowd but you got to be pretty low if your dad has been a good and giving and godly man and you willfully set your face against him, do something that was totally despicable. You betrayed your daddy. We think about Absalom. We're going to talk about him in a minute. He betrayed his own daddy, David. David was a great ruler, but he's a bad dad. In fact, Scripture says he could not bring himself to discipline his children. And one of his sons, Absalom, turned in rebellion against him and led a coup against his dad, who was king of Israel. And not only that, David's trusted, confidant, prime minister... Uh, David was king, his prime minister was a man named Ahitophel, and Ahitophel was mad at David, so he joined Absalom in rebellion against the king. Do you know what that feels like? If you had a friend that turned on you and said some really ugly things to a circle around you, and you thought, what in the world happened? Why would you do that? Well, see, truthfully, betrayal is not new. In fact, Judas betrayed Jesus. I've often wondered how many times in hell, and Judas is still there, been there now 2,000 years, Wonder how many times in hell Judas replays that night in the Garden of Gethsemane. See, Matthew's Gospel says when Judas approached Jesus in the darkness of the Garden, betray him, Jesus looked at him, knowing what he's going to do, and he said, Friend, oh my, Judas in hell today. 
He's in hell, and he remembers that line. Jesus looking at him through the, through the torchlight. Friend, why have you come? If you go to Luke's gospel, Luke says, Jesus said to Judas, Judas, are you going to betray the Son of Man with a kiss? Now, don't make that sordid. In this perverse generation, they make that into things it's not supposed to be. In the Middle East, they kiss each other on the cheek as a sign of greeting. Much of Europe will do that. You'll see two men who will kiss each other on the cheek. I hope that doesn't spread to America, but that's the way they do it. And so Judas said, Jesus said to Judas, did you come out here to treat me like a friend and give me a kiss of greeting like you're my friend? And in, in, in Matthew's gospel, he says, friend, why have you come? Last words ever spoken to Judas on planet Earth by Jesus Christ. Betrayal's ugly. Many times you can trace the motive of betrayal. Betrayal can come about because of bitterness that somebody's had brewing in their spirit for a while or just sheer revenge. I'll never forget what you did to me and I said then I'd get you and today I'm going to do that. So it can be out of revenge. Sometimes betrayal can come as a result of resentment. Sometimes through self-advancement. Many people today got that promotion because they did so good knifing the person under them that they were, appeared to be, they were made to appear to be incompetent and not worthy of promotion. Betrayal can come for a lot of reasons. When a person is betrayed, the feelings and one who's been betrayed are the same. There's immediately that sense of denial. If you've ever been with someone who's been betrayed, they just want to say over and over, I, I just can't, I, I just, why, I, I don't know why they did that. I, I, and they're trying to process, did this really happen? I'm going to wake up and this is a horrible dream. There's disbelief. I can't believe they did that. Why? We've been to dinner together. Our, our families went on vacation together. We, we go to the lake in the summer together. Our kids play on the same ball team. We go to the same church. We've been in class socials together. And there's that sense of disbelief. You do that to me. Why, why did you do that? And there's not only disbelief, but there's a sense of real disappointment. I, I find it so strange today that young people and many adults too want to put everything on Facebook. That is dumb, 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 dumb. Because the person who reads that with interest today is your potential nemesis tomorrow. And now you've loaded their gun. Always be interested, always be aware that when some people get around you and want to talk about some, and then they want every detail, that same person listening intently tomorrow, today, if they turn on you tomorrow, you gave them the ammunition for their gun. Betrayal has disbelief, a sense of disappointment. And then betrayal always is the time you're aware suddenly, and sometimes it may be a week or more, but you begin to realize all you lost. You don't lost the friend that betrayed you, but you've lost a sense of security. Your world is shaken. You've lost a sense of joy. You've lost a sense, in some cases, of purpose. You just can't function. And so you begin to assess the damage and realize the loss that this betrayal has cost you. And sometimes it's very extreme. And then you have the desire, I just wish I could get away. I don't know how many times I've talked to people who feel like they've been betrayed either in a marital affair or because of something done to them in business or friendship or a social club, athletic club, whatever. And they say, preacher, I just wish I could get on a plane and fly somewhere. Well, you can do that, but here's the problem. The one that's hurting is you, and what you've got in your heart is going to fly with you on that plane. And when you land at destination B and get off the plane, not only do you have your baggage, you've got your baggage. And so everything that was hurting you back home is still in there because it's not out there somewhere. It's a wound in you. And just getting on a plane at 30,000 feet and flying 2,000 miles doesn't take that wound away. And then you have a heart that's filled with all kinds of questions, the biggest one being why. Why? Because we think if we can answer the why, maybe we can get some semblance of 
how did this happen? What were the seeds of the beginning? Why did I, what did I miss? Why did it happen? And if I can reconstruct it, maybe it won't happen again. When there's a plane crash, the National Transportation Board automatically shows up and they want to reconstruct a plane. Now that's a tedious task. And they'll put together all the pieces of the wreckage, if possible, so they can ascertain what caused the crash. Why do they do that? You say, the plane crashed. Get over it. Move on. No. NTSB is saying, listen, if we can understand, was it a mechanical failure? If so, we got to get that mechanical part fixed because if it fails, it's going to kill somebody again. If it's pilot error, we need to prepare the pilot for that kind of turbulence or that kind of a mishap so that next time a pilot will say, thank goodness I trained because that happened to me and I didn't go down. So that's the same thing that happens when you're betrayed. You keep asking why, why, why? Not because you want to replay it unless you're sick and there are sick people that say, I'm just going to keep replaying it because I just nobody knows the trouble I've seen and, and you never get over it. Please don't be in that category. The people who ask why honestly are saying, if I can reconstruct it and get enough information, maybe I understand what I did to provoke that person or what that person thought was done, or maybe what's wrong with that person and I put my trust in the wrong people. And so not only you go through disillusionment and disappointment, you ask a thousand times why. With that in mind, I want you to look with me at Psalm 55. And today I'm deliberately going to move around within the psalm, not because it's not divinely inspired and the way it flows is fine, but for my purposes to describe David's feeling, I want to put it in a certain order of things. And so I'm going to look at three things with you. First of all, the person behind the betrayal, the pain that's caused by betrayal, and the process that deals what you need to deal with after you've been betrayed. Look with me in Psalm 55. Let's begin in verse 12. Now let me paint the background a little bit one more time. David's king of Israel, but Absalom, his son, is seeking to dethrone his dad, started a coup, get rid of David, I'm going to be king. Aitofel, for whatever reason, and there's several I won't go into today, but he came as a man who was a trusted prime minister, friend, and when his son, when Absalom rebelled, Aitofel distanced from David and went with the rebellion. Now you, you imagine, be like a president suddenly seeing a, 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 an attack from the country and find out your vice president was in league with the enemy. And that's what happened with David. This man who was his closest confidant went with the enemy, his son, to kill him, to destroy him. And so we pick up the feeling of betrayal. David states it very clearly in Psalm 55. Look with me in verse 12. He says, it's not an enemy. What does that mean? The one, this thing that I'm hurting is not a Philistine. He's not somebody from the Hittites or Amorites. It's not an enemy who insults me. Otherwise, I compare it. It's not a foe who rises up against me. Otherwise, I could hide from him. David said, I've often hidden from my enemies. Well, then what's the problem? It's you. Now, now notice he doesn't say it's him. Him means it's third person. I'm pointing across the room. David is as if it's sitting right there. He said, just last week we had dinner together. You were right here. Just last Thursday, we had a council and conference together, and you were right here. It's you. See, if I say it's him, there's a sense of distance. When I say it's you, that's close. I mean, that's personal. And David says, I'm thinking what's happened. It's not a, a Hittite. It's not Goliath. It's not from the land of Gath. It's not one of these weird enemies. It's you. And you feel the pathos. You, you my friend, you who broke bread with me, it's, it's you. And look, look what he says. Then he describes him. He said, it's you, verse 14, verse 13, you're my companion. What's a companion? Somebody you do everything with. 
You're my good friend, not a friend, close friend. Then look what he said. We used to have close fellowship. That means breaking of bread. In Scripture, when you hear about fellowship, it's two people at a meal. They're breaking bread together. How close you got to be to break bread? Right here. How close was Judas when Jesus said, it's the one who dips his bread in my dish. How, how close is that? So he said, it's not somebody out there on those other side of the mountains that's going to attack me. He said, it's you. you. You sit right here. Judas, it's you. You are right across the table. You feel the pain. Have you ever been betrayed? Look what he says. It's you. It's you. We used to walk in close. We used to have close fellowship. And look, as we walked with the crowd, and not just we were together in crowds. Look here. We walked together going to the temple. Can I ask, is there, any, is there anything more difficult when the person that betrays you, used to sit in Sunday school with you and study the Word of God. They were the one you called on and you said, man, pray for me. My wife's going through surgery and I need a prayer partner. And they came and sat with you and later they betrayed you. Is there anything more difficult when it's that person that, that when you were really hurting, they, they brought food to your house and when they were hurting, you brought food to their house? It's the people you go to the lake with when you really wanted to get away. It's the people you would go on a little side trip to to somewhere to get away for the day. It's you, my close friend, my companion. It's you, it's not somebody way out there. We used to worship together. Oh my. So the person behind the trail is somebody you know well. David, don't turn there, but you can look later. Psalm, 1, Psalm 41, just listen. Don't turn there because I want you to lose your place. Psalm 41, he says this about another incident when he's betrayed. He says, all who hate me whisper together about me. You ever been betrayed? If you have, you know what it is to walk in a room and everybody suddenly be quiet. And you realize, what are you guys talking about? Nothing. Better one yet, when you walk, walking somewhere and they don't realize that you see them and they're pointing and, did you hear about, did you, you, did you hear what, did you hear the story? See, David said, listen, this one who's my good friend, he hates me, and all who hate me are whispering together about me. Psalm 41, 9, even my own familiar friend in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. What does that mean, lifted up his heel? I've told you before in the Middle East, in biblical times, when they ate, they ate on a table that was maybe a foot to 18 inches off the ground. And so you recline on your elbow, eat with your right hand. And I mean, the food was right here, so it was very, you're, you're on the ground. And the Bible says, the man who came to be my guest of honor at the meal... He let it be known, don't, I'm no friend of yours. And when he got up, all I saw as he walked away were his heels. He showed me his heel. The greatest insult in much of the Middle East is when you show somebody the sole of your foot. When we went to Asia, they told us, don't you ever cross your legs this way where your sole of your foot is possibly facing anybody in the room because that's an ultimate insult. When George Bush was president, a person got up and threw both shoes at him, which was the utter contempt. Jesus said, when you leave a town that has not treated you with dignity and respect, shake the foot dust off of your feet ultimate contempt when you leave the dust of your feet that stepped in everything from where a dog's been to garbage and mud and you say I don't even want to take the dirt from your town with me the Bible said the one who used to be my friend has turned his heel against me it's the picture the second picture is Agri it's the farmer who always takes care of his mule or his horse is doing his plowing and he goes in one day to feed the horse and the horse in a moment just turns around and kicks him with his back hind leg he said I fed you and you kicked me? 
you have been betrayed. David gets it. Then look at the pain of betrayal. Look at verse 21 and 22 of Psalm 55. See, the person wants to betray you. They've been thinking a long time how they're going to say what they're going to say to make you look bad. They didn't just just wake up yesterday and say, I think I'm going to do this. They've been planning. So what do you say in verse 21 of Psalm 55? His buttery words are smooth. Do you ever know somebody when they want to put you down, they've thought through it so, so good, you almost convinced, boy, you got a case. That, that, that just flows. When you tell it, none of that's true. But I'm sitting here listening thinking, my soul, you've rehearsed this. Your words are buttery smooth. Look at this. Verse 21, your words are buttery smooth, but the motive of your words is the war in your heart. You're, you're trying to destroy me. And the reason you make this look so slick is you're going to do me in, aren't you? And then look at verse 22, verse 21, second phrase. The words are softer than oil. Oil's supposed to soothe, but instead this oil opens wounds. They're, the words inside that soft oil are like drawn swords waiting to slash me to pieces. You ever been betrayed? And then look at verse 22. What are you going to do? Cast your burden on the Lord. He's going to support you because he won't allow the righteous to... to Righteous to be shaken. Well, third thing, look at the process of dealing with betrayal. Look in beginning of verse 1 of this psalm. Because David's going to talk real honestly. Once you've been betrayed, the whole world looks different. See, once you've been betrayed, now, now if it's in your family, where you used to love to go home, now you say, I, I don't even want to go home. I, I don't, I, I don't want to go back in there right now. If it's at your office where you normally go and even spend some extra time, you say, I, I don't want, I don't want to go down there. If it's that person and they're right down the street from you and you're always running to their house or there's your, now you turn the other way. So I don't even want to drive by that house. That, that has too much pain right now. I don't even want to sit. If they're in, out in the yard, I, it, it hurt me too bad. See, David got to that point when he was betrayed. He said, there's nobody to talk to. I'm going to call on the Lord while he's the one that you should have gone to first, but he's the only one listening. Now, now listen to me. See, sometimes... So sometimes we're pretty prayerless as long as we got it all together. Truth is, we don't ever have it together. We just are deceived. But once we realize we don't have it together, we may say, dear God, and it's earnest. Look what he prays in Psalm 55, 1. God, listen to my prayer. Does that sound like a king? I thought a king, David, who said, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no wants. We come in, Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and King over all of Israel, what a delight to enter your gates with thanksgiving and your courts with praise. You know, I like the Psalms. But when David's down, he's just honest. God, please hear me. Please listen to my prayer. Please do not ignore my plea. Verse 1, Psalm 55. Please don't ignore my plea for help. Pay attention to me and answer me. I'm restless. You ever been betrayed? Can you sleep at night? Do you find yourself during the day you can't focus your concentration for replaying the tape? He said, God, I'm restless. I'm in turmoil with my complaint because of my enemy's voice. Who's his enemy? It's not the guy now outside the wall. We're going to take you down. And he's got an army. It's the guy that broke bread with him yesterday. And now the one who is his closest friend is as his worst nemesis. And the voice of my enemy keeps ringing in my ear. What was melody to my heart on days gone by when he or she would call me? Today, their voice is like a sword. My enemy's voice, look at this. 
my enemy's voice because of the pressure of the wicked. That doesn't mean wicked people. It means the wicked one is placing in their mind and throat thoughts and words of destruction. What does Satan love to do? Kill, steal, and destroy, and he can use any one of us. Why should we be alert that Judas was one who betrayed Jesus? There's some who say, well, I, I wouldn't do that because, you know, I, I go to church and I know Jesus, so Judas wasn't a church attender. And, and Jesus didn't know Judas, and Judas didn't know Jesus. You see, the truth is, there is the potential in anybody to either be the betrayer or the betrayed. And so here David said, I can't believe it because this one who I trusted, my friend, look at this. He says in, in Psalm 55, my enemy's voice rings in my ears because of the pressure of the wicked one who keeps pushing him to do wicked things. They bring down disaster on me. In other words, they're not going to quit till I'm done. And they harass me in anger. What does that mean? They mock me. They laugh at me. They point at me and say, look at him. Boy, look at her. What a joke. And you were my friend. And look what he says. My heart shudders. You ever been really wounded? And your heart doesn't settle down. It's beating so fast you can't. You have a hard time breathing because your heart's fluttering or shuddering. But David gets it. He said, my heart shudders within me, terrors of death. He said, I'm not going to get out of this, am I? See, when, when you get in deep enough, everything in you goes off and you say, I, I'm not going to survive this. This is the big one. That's what he said here. Death, terror of death sweeps over me. Fear and trembling grip me. Horror has overwhelmed me. And here's what he said. If I just had tickets on Southwest Airline, I'd fly away, right? See, here's the person who said, if I could just get back to Florida last summer, we had the best time on the beach. I'm flying to Florida. I think that'll do it. And you get off the plane, go to the same hotel and walk on the beach, and you die. Because now the sun that was so refreshing last summer is now like it's got your name and it's baking you. And the sand that was so comforting is now irritating to you. And you go to that restaurant where the food was so good, and you say, I'm not, I don't even have an appetite. David gets it. He said, if I had the wings of a dove, I'd love to fly away. But here's the problem. When I land, I've still got all that in here. And I can't get away from it. Then look what he says. How far away I would flee if I would stay in the wilderness if I could. Look at verse 9. Lord, please confuse the speech. In other words, it's flowing so smoothly even after I'm gone. It, they just won't let up. They're just really trying to do me in and not only, not only wound me, but now eradicate me. And look at this. He doesn't see the city of Jerusalem the same. Have you ever noticed when you've been betrayed, you don't see that neighbor's house the same? And you don't see your job site the same? And you don't see your store, your store the same? You don't see the streets where the park is the same? You don't see the ball field the same? Everything in the city now looks different. Look what he said in the city. Lord, confound their speech for now. Everywhere I look, I see violence. What does that mean? See, when you've been betrayed, the enemy wants you to think... This is what everybody, that's what they're all thinking. That's what they're all thinking. And you don't know any different. So say everywhere I look, it's like violence and strife. And then how, how persistent is your enemy to get you down? Look at this, verse 10. Day and night, they're making the rounds on the walls. And crime and trouble are within it. Destruction is inside. He said, wherever I look, if I try to go back to the office late at night, if I go to my friend's house, other friend's house at night, John Brown, if it's not like they're sitting out there on the curb watching me. If I try to go to the park and with my children, they're already there. And it's like I can't get away from them. 
He said it's violence everywhere and crime is trouble is on every side and thereafter it day and night. Destruction is inside. Oppression and deceit never leave. And so what does David say he's going to do? Verse 16, I'm going to call to God. The Lord will save me. And I'm going to complain. If they're going to be at it night and day, I'm going to be at morning, noon, and night in prayer because he's going to hear me. Verse 18, though many are against me, I believe God's going to deliver me. Well, that's the biblical prose. Very quickly, and I probably won't get through all these, but let me try to share four or five quickly. What do you do when you're the betrayed? What do you do when that person who's been your friend becomes your nemesis? First of all, you honestly, now please, this sounds so stupid, but it won't if you've been betrayed. You honestly assess the damage done. What does that mean? See, when we're hurting, we fly off in 14 directions, and we make the problem bigger than it is. And here's what you suppose. Well, I don't know why everyone down there, everybody down there was against me. I, I never did like that job. That whole office came out. I never liked that neighborhood and that ball team, those bunch of hypocrites. Those parents always treated us like dirt. They treated my son like dirt. I hate all of them. Is that a fair assessment? That's anger speaking. So I say honor, assess Honestly, I mean, what really happened to find it? Why? You go to a doctor and you list all the symptoms. He said, well, I'm going to do a quick x-ray or an MRI because I want to really zero in. What's the problem? I hear the symptoms. But if I'm going to treat you, I've got an honest assessment. If you just keep throwing out superlatives, the whole world stinks. You're never going to get better because now you're never going to trust or love or respect anybody. So when I say honestly assess, don't be in denial. I'm not, I don't accept that. It didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, it did. Yeah, it did. And you don't go the other extreme. Well, it's all bad. The whole world stinks. No, the world's still got daisies in it. You just got to find some. Secondly, you pray. You say, well, duh. But no, hear me. Because sometimes people think, I can't pray because I, I don't have anything to say to God that's positive. You don't think he knows the negative. Now, now I'm going to say something. And some of you are going to get shocked. But that's okay. won't be the first time. Probably good for you today. Here it is. See, we're afraid to pray if we can't pray our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come. That's a great prayer. Jesus taught us. Father, thank you for all the blessings you bestow on us. You are a merciful God. That's a great prayer. There have been times in my life I couldn't pray that prayer. And there are times in my life I've gone to some. Now, this is going to shock some of you, but that's okay. It's all right. You'll get over it, and I've gotten over it. Times in my life I had to go pray the Psalms, and when I did, I prayed them all. I didn't just pray the Lord is my shepherd. I prayed the ones where David said, God, you are my rock and my fortress. Those against me are many. I pray that you will destroy them all. And that way I can say I'm praying Scripture. Does that lift you up? No. Is it honest? Yes. Why? Because what you're doing is getting rid of that venom. Now listen, this is a gross illustration, but listen to me. Until you pray and get honest with yourself before God, you'll never be honest with another person. Now hear me. I hate of all the disease. Now I'm sure there are many that are worse, so don't come up and tell me there's something worse. I'm sure there is. But of the ones I've had, nausea is my most unfavorite. And it always hits you after you've gone to bed about one in the morning and you wake up and think, oh no. And so you try to mask it and think, if I just roll back over and go to sleep, it'll go away. It doesn't go away. It just keeps, right? Y'all ever been nauseated? Somebody said, right, right now I'm feeling a pretty good case, right? And so it just keeps inching up. And finally, you think, I, 
I, I, I think it's going to come. And then when you realize I'm going to have to do this, then you pray, dear God, get me to the right room in the right position at the right place on time. And buddy, once you get there, here it comes. And it, and it ain't pretty and it ain't fun. But here's the deal. Could you just be boneheaded enough and take something and put a sock in your mouth and say, I am not going to regurgitate. I'm going to keep that down there and make it as miserable as it's making me. How would that work out for you? That sock would explode and you would have projectile bad stuff. Why? Because when you need to unload infection, if you don't get it out, it'll destroy you. I dare say in a room this size, there's some of you still replaying what happened to you a year ago, two years ago, five years ago, ten years, and you say, well, I'll tell you right now, I won't let that go. Listen, you need to let it go to God. You pray to say, God, I've learned what I need to know, and I know well enough to know if I don't release this to you, it's going to destroy me. You pray what you know. Listen, don't ever forget in the dark what you learned in the light. Some of you, by the time you drive off the parking lot today, somebody sure in the world is going to cut in front of you. Somebody's going to say, you know, give you a very unkind gesture, and you're going to lose it. And people say, well, you just came from church. You see, the truth is we're this close on any moment of not doing what we ought to do, though we know it. Why do we keep drilling the same truths and the same precepts over and over so that the foundation in our heart is solid? The Bible says we're supposed to pray when we feel these things. Pray for the person that did it to you. Why? I don't know, but there's something about when I begin to pray for the person that did this to me and pray for God to forgive them and pray for God to help them and pray for God to show them mercy the same way Jesus prayed for those that crucified him. Don't lay this sin to their charge. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. If you'll pray for that person with a conviction, God, I cannot honestly believe they have any idea the hurt they've just caused. Please. Don't let them hurt over this the way it's hurt me. Pray for them. And the release begins to come very quickly. Pray for the power to be clear-headed. Now listen, when you've been bruised through betrayal, don't you dare make a major decision to do anything very soon. Until you get your level head back, you say, God, I am not ready yet to be administratively effective. I'm not ready yet to take on a challenge in the family. I need, for, I need for you to help me ask those around me. I'm going through something. Can you give me a little space? I'll get with you. Why? If you make a decision out of bitterness, you're not going to make a wise decision. Because now your decision is colored by the hurt. You pray for God to give you clear thinking. And then you've gone, you knew that I was going to say this, but I'm going to tell you why you need to pray for the power to forgive. There are a lot of people who say, well, I'll tell you right now, I'll forgive you, but I'll never forget. No, then you didn't forgive. Why? And you say, well, you, you mean I'm not, supposed to for, I'm not supposed to forget? I'm not supposed to remember if somebody hurt me physically or hurt my wife? I don't mean that. Sure you do. I mean, you protect yourself. But when it's something that's a verbal exchange and somebody said something in a moment of anger that they really didn't mean and wouldn't repeat for $1,000, listen, you can hang that around. You can keep that this way, but here's what happens. 
The longer that keeps it to you, it's like a burning coal. It'll burn a hole in your chest, and the other person has forgotten it. Over the years I've been a pastor, I've had people call my office, come to see me. Some catch me down here and say, Pastor, I just need to talk to you a minute. Can we go somewhere and sit down time? We go right over there somewhere, and we sit down. And they say, listen, a year ago you said this, and it made me so mad. And I determined that you, if you knew what you'd said, you'd apologize, and you hadn't apologized. So I figured you must not realize what you said to hurt me. I said, I really don't. Forgive me. I talk all the time, so forgive me. Tell me. And they'll say, when you said this, you hit me, and I thought, sure, you'd talk to somebody, and you knew I was going through that that week, and I just didn't appreciate it, and I've resented you for a year. And I said, please forgive me. Listen, in a sermon, I'm preaching general truth that God's revealed to me that week. I don't have your name on it, but if God put your name on it, believe me, it was not with malice on my part. It was him, for some reason, bringing that to mind. If you'll forgive me, I can assure you, I mean you no know, ill intent here's the thing you got to realize is you pray to, to, to let the person go what do I mean by it? do you know what the word forgive really means it means to let it go let it go now, now I'm old enough to remember when every show was 30 minutes on television and the good guys always won and they, most of them were western so the good guy would ride up on a horse or he'd be the marshal and he'd come out and here's the bad guy and the town citizen's been wrong he said I'm telling you right now I'm gonna go kill him I need to tell you when I see him he's dead and the marshal said now no don't do I'm telling you I'm gonna kill him put up your gun and go sit down. I'm gonna do it do you want me to take your gun sit down and I'll handle it why see if the town's person that was wrong shoots the person did the wrong now the town's person is suddenly a murderer which is worse than the wrong done and now he's got to take on the law as if he were the original perpetrator when all he did is react to the wrong done and he created a worse damage but when you let it go guess what God takes over in the years that I've been on the earth here's what I found out the people who really mean you harm if you can get to the point where you release them to God here's what will happen He'll free you from all that stuff, just like throwing up. You finally can release it. I didn't say it's instant, but you can begin to release it. And then as you're praying for them, you begin to have a different attitude toward them. And here's what will happen. I've seen God move in judgment and convict the person that did something in a moment of time who would later come back and say, I don't know that you can ever forgive me. But God has convicted me that when this happened, I was listening to a bunch of stuff and I got caught up in it and I did wrong. Can you forgive me? Now, is that sweeter than me determine I'm going to make your life miserable for as long as I can? Why is that not good? Because I'm the one that winds up paying with a hard heart. So we need to pray. Last thing, make two specific decisions. I got this from a pastor years ago when I'd gone through one of my first opportunities to have somebody put me on the deck I called an older and wiser pastor I said I know you've been in ministry a long time and I'm sure this has happened to you I don't know how to deal with it because this person was a leader and I really respected them and here's what they did and he said Nick just get ready that's gonna happen I'm sorry to say several times before you wrap it up he said I learned two things and that's happened to me many times he said first of all realize that in every attack now hear me in every attack there's a seed of truth Find out what that seed is and plant that seed and get the truth back in your life and learn from that experience. He didn't say it's all, everything they said is true. He said in every attack there's a seed of truth. Find out what the real, the real issue is 
and benefit from that. But he said, secondly, do this. Once you've gotten that seed out, just like a blackberry out of a midst of thorns, he said, you take a hefty bag with everything else that was said, and you put that hefty bag on the curb and forget it. Because if you keep replaying that, all that's going to do is make you angry, not only toward them, but to their associates, and then to people who are like them. And he said, your call is to serve Christ, not to determine what men need to have by way of discipline good counsel. First Peter says this. Peter knew pretty well what it was to betray and to deny, didn't he? In First Peter chapter 2, here's what he says. You were called to this. What? He's talking about suffering. You were called to this because Christ suffered for you, leaving us an example. You should follow in the steps of Jesus. Now listen to what he said. He didn't commit sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he didn't revile in return. When he was suffering, he didn't threaten, but entrusted himself to the one who judges justly. So what do we do? We don't turn on others. We do what Jesus did. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Some years ago in Keeble Chapel in Oxford, there was a very notable painting that called The Light of the World done by a noted artist, Holman Hunt, and th this painting was remarkable, and a gentleman, a noted Christian layman was standing there admiring the painting in Keeble Chapel in Oxford, and here comes a tour group. If you ever been on a tour group, you know we talk a lot and cut up and carry on. It's very distracting to people who want to be quiet in an art museum, and so here came this tour group, and the tour guy was trying to get their attention. Listen, listen up, listen up. This is the painting of the light of the world he's describing about Mr. Hunt and how he painted. He said, now originally this painting was, was, this painting was done for 65, over $6,500. And the layman who'd been standing there watching said, Excuse me, sir, may I say a word to your group about this painting? He said, Are you an art aficionado? He said, No, but I know the subject, Jesus. He stood up where the tour guide was and he spoke to the group. He said, Ladies and gentlemen, that is a great painting by Holman Hunt called The Light of the World. But I've got to tell you, the original cost of this painting of Jesus didn't cost $6,500. He was betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. You know what's amazing to me? It's how many times we betrayed our Lord and we won't get mad at others who betrayed us. Someone said, still as of old, and listen to this, still as of old, man by himself is priced. What does that mean? You and I, by how we act after we've been betrayed or act in the midst of trials, we tell people really what we are. Man, listen to this saying, as of old, man by himself is priced for 30 pieces of silver. Judas sold himself, not Christ. I wish it weren't true, but I'm going to tell you something about myself and then I'm going to tell you something about you. I'm a betrayer and I'm in a room of bad company. The Bible says, all we like sheep have gone astray. You see, many times I betray that I know Jesus. He's been mighty good to me, giving me health for 65 years, a wonderful family, a great church, marvelous job, meets my financial needs. And you know, sometimes I'll go sit down in a restaurant and I won't even ask the person who takes such good care of me by serving me tea and a meal and helping me out. I'll never even ask them, could I pray for you? 
I was too important that day. I had too much going. I didn't want to talk about my master. I just betrayed Jesus for the price of a check for lunch. You ever betrayed Jesus? I got neighbors on my street don't know Christ. Oh, I've talked to them, but they're really not interested. And, and I keep trying to find that perfect moment, but perfect moments really come. So I just keep trying to see them. But some of those days you just say, you know, I know tomorrow's a special day and I ought to go invite them, but Lord, I just don't want to go talk to them now. You ever betrayed Jesus because you didn't want to go talk to your neighbor about their greatest need? Anybody here ever betrayed him? I'm looking, you're looking at a betrayer, not just of anybody. I betrayed somebody who's my dearest friend. He knit me together in my mother's womb. He's ordered every step of my life. He's taken me by the hand like a little boy for 65 years. And when I'd follow him, I'd wind up in paths of righteousness in the abundant life that he promised. I've been filled with his Holy Spirit, sealed until the day of redemption. He's preparing a place in heaven for me. And yet sometimes in my Judas spirit, I don't even mention his name. You know what? I'm in a bad company because we're all sinners. So here's the question. How much did you get for betraying Jesus? A few minutes passed so you don't have to talk to that person about the gospel. An advancement at work because you were so busy knifing your co-worker to get the advancement. You did get what you asked for. Is that what you got? See, the truth is, here's what amazed me about Jesus. Satan knows your name, but he calls you by your sin. Jesus knows your sin, but he calls you by your name. Anybody here a betrayer? Anybody here ever betrayed? I want you to stand with me. We're going to pray. Father, we have talked this morning about a very difficult subject because we don't like to be on either end of that. We don't like to be the one that betrays, and yet we have. And we don't like to be the betrayer, and we sure don't like the way that feels. And this morning, I believe I'm talking to some of my brothers and sisters in Christ who'd say, Brother Nick, I didn't want to be, but I've betrayed my Lord. Because of that, there are times I've betrayed those closest to me. I, I've not been what I ought to be, and I've betrayed friendships or family. I'm not proud of that, but it's true. Well, get in line. All of us have sinned, and so we need to ask God, God, can you be merciful to us and help us to learn to show mercy? And maybe this morning this altar can fill up with, like, with people of like mind that say what I need to do is just ask God to forgive me. And you know right now you can come do that and kneel here and start praying and he'll hear you. And maybe there's some in the room who say, Brother Nick, I, I've not betrayed Jesus in a deed. I've betrayed him my whole life. I, I've never trusted him. I've acted as if he doesn't exist. Or if he does, he's just another man. I've acted as if I don't really need him when in truth I, I'm desperate. Well, why don't you quit betraying him this morning and say, Jesus, I'm not going to walk away from you again. This morning, I'm not going to turn my back on you and show you my heel. I'm going to turn and walk straight towards you. I want to receive Christ. If that's true, we got pastors here in the altar. Pastors, if you're in the room, come to the altar. We've got Rocky here, and she's going to be here for ladies. If you say, I prefer to talk to a lady as a lady, she's here. You come and talk to her. You say, Brother Nick, I wouldn't know what to say if I went down there. I'm not a Christian. Then all you need to say is, I need Jesus. You can say three words, I need Jesus. That's enough. I believe there's some in the room this morning say, that's what I need. Some may need to come for other reasons, so the altar's open. Father, you know every heart. 
pleased to deal with us today according to mercy. Help us not to show you our heel, but rather show you faith and come to you in submission as you've come to us in mercy. Redeem us, forgive us, and draw us near in Jesus' name.